0: Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Uh, In the last lesson we talked about the Ten Commandments. I'm going to jump right into this lesson, but before I begin, please make sure that you follow us if you haven't already. This helps us to become more visible to people that need to hear the gospel. Um, Also, we ask that you comment, that you like it, um, so that Again, it helps it become more visible to people that need to hear the gospel. Uh, Before we begin this lesson, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the ability to study the word of God. God, I need you to guide my thoughts. I need you to speak to me and through me today. Lord, help me to say the pertinent points, to leave out unnecessary things, speak to every heart and soul, give understanding to every hearer, talk to them about what they need today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the Ten Commandments that we talked about last time were kind of like Um, the broad scope of what the law is about, and uh, it encapsulates the entirety of the law in those Ten Commandments. Um, And really, the principle comes down to the first commandment is to have no other gods before the Lord. And uh, if they were to obey this commandment, um, then, you know, in in the the rest of the Ten Commandments, they're not going to have any problem with the rest of the law. And Uh, So we talked about the fact that there's God's moral law which does not change but we also talked about the fact there was the law for the nation of Israel and there was also the ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law is going to be my focus today. Again this is an inexhaustible subject. There's no way that um, I'm going to be able to cover all of it. But uh, I do want to talk about it today. And I'm really just going to kind of give you the outward scope. I'm not going to do a lot of reading of Scripture because if I get in uh, to actually reading the verses of Scripture, this lesson will take twice as long as what it's going to take. So I'm going to try to keep this short, about 20 minutes, but I do want to point out a few things um, about the tabernacle plan. Now, God gives them many, many, many commandments throughout the book of Exodus, and I could take time to read those. There are certain garments they were not to wear. Um, There are certain, he told them, don't plow an ox and a donkey together. Uh, Obviously, that's confusion. There are two separate wills, but Uh, there was that that specific reason for that law but there's also the reason for it that he just wanted the nation of Israel to be different remember they're a holy people they're set apart they're not to do everything like everybody else Um, he told them there's the law of morality talking about uh, you know don't uh, don't sleep with uh, your sister don't sleep with your your kin and he goes through this long list of, of commands um, and gives them so many different types of commands don't eat this type of food and, um, and so he goes through all of these different commands but Rather than focus on all of the law and all of its fascinating, it's interesting, it's an incredible study, but I'm not really going to focus on that today. I'm actually going to focus on a few different things, um, and I want to focus primarily on what's called the tabernacle plan. The tabernacle plan because not only did God give them a law that they were to obey but he also gave them a way they were to worship him so number one remember we mentioned in the last lesson that because God delivered them from Egypt he owned them and as their owner remember I mentioned the fact that uh, you know what gives you the right to tell your children what to do well you're their parents it's the same thing here what gave God the right to tell them what to do he was their God and so he said, because I am your God, and because I brought you out from the land of Egypt, these are the commandments you are to obey, and you can't approach me just any old way. He put Moses in charge of going down and tell them, don't touch this mountain. And he put Moses in charge of putting the boundaries of the mountain, around the mountain, and he said, I'm going to come down and appear. Moses, you're the one in charge of sanctifying the people and cleansing them. And Moses even added the command, don't come at your wives during this time. God didn't tell him to say that, but Moses was trying to be extra careful because he realized we're approaching a holy. God. And I mentioned the fact also that in the New Testament uh, era, we have the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the day of Pentecost. We have the healing of the lame man in Acts chapter 3. We have them selling their houses and bringing the money and laying it down at the apostles' feet. So all of these beautiful things it's in the dispensation of grace. If you believe in dispensations, I'll I'll just call it ages. Um, But then In Acts chapter number 5, it's almost like God stops and he says, Remember, I'm a holy God, because he struck down Ananias and Sapphira because they lied to the Holy Ghost. And so, God is a holy God. And as a holy God, we must be careful how we approach him. We can't approach him just any old way. And so, there's some things that I do want to just kind of point out about this because God told them, now this is the way you are to worship me. He gave them a specific way to worship him. They couldn't come to him just any old way and build any old tabernacle that they wanted to build. They were to worship him. Just a few uh, interesting facts about it. Um, it uh, the way it looked on the outside was not attractive to the rest of the world. It was uh, ramskins dyed red. Um, it was not beautiful to look out from the outside. To look at, excuse me, from the outside. Now later on when Solomon built his temple that was beautiful. But in the the tabernacle in the wilderness was not beautiful to look at. In fact David really wrestled with this in his day and he told God, he said, I don't think it's right that I should dwell in a palace and that you should be in tents. This isn't right that we should worship you in tents. And, um, but God said, you're not going to build me a house, David. Your son's going to build me a house. But let me return back to, to Moses. So I'm sure that they thought, well, God wants us to worship him and bring our very best and sacrifices and offerings. Surely he wants us to build the best. So I'm sure that when Moses received this command from God that it's to be ramskins dyed red and that the outside would not be anything beautiful to look at. That didn't make much sense. But I want to show you something. Everything in this tabernacle pointed toward Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, and again, you might say, well, how does that point toward Jesus? It wasn't beautiful to look at um, on the outside. Okay? And so I want to uh, point just a couple things out. Uh, let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 53. Isaiah, chapter number 53. And again, the book of Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Um, the book of Isaiah comes right after the book of song of solomon right before the book of jeremiah isaiah chapter 53 this is known as a suffering servant passage okay and it says who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the lord revealed uh for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground he hath no form nor comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So, notice he said that uh, this is a prophecy about the Messiah, and he said we hid our faces from him. We didn't want to look at him. There was nothing attractive to look at. There was no beauty that we should desire him. So, in the way that the tabernacle plan was set up, it pointed toward Jesus Christ. There wouldn't be any real beauty that we should desire him. Okay, and um, so that's one point to make. And then another point uh, to make is there was a brazen altar that was set up. And upon this brazen altar, they were to offer sacrifices. Now, there's several things I want to point out about the brazen altar. And the brazen altar basically was... The place that uh, things would die, the animals would die. They would, they, the priest would kill it. It was very bloody. There were uh, four horns at each corner, and uh, the priest would sometimes hook the sacrifice on to these uh, cords. He would kill it, and, um, and then he would he would take the blood and he would sprinkle There's all these... It's very, very bloody. It's very ugly, very nasty. But this brazen altar was so big that one man said they could take the rest of the furniture in the tabernacle and put it all inside the brazen altar. And the interesting thing is when they came past the gates, the very first thing they would see is that brazen altar. It would obstruct their path, if you will. That was the first thing. And so... Um, you can read, you know, that gates, uh, there was a certain way they were to enter into the presence of the Lord. The psalmist said, Come into his gates with thanksgiving, and enter his courts with praise. So they came in with thanksgiving and praise. But it's like, once they entered past those gates, uh, and they praised the Lord, and they worshipped the Lord, the very next thing they would see is their need to repent. Because repentance is death. It's dying out to sin. Remember, I've, I've mentioned before, to repent is to do an about face, to change your direction, to turn toward God. And so the very first thing they would do when they would come in, they would see their need to repent. If they sinned, they were to bring an offering. There were certain types of offerings. God commanded them uh, a sin offering is to be done this way. You're to bring this certain type of animal. You're to 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 the priest is to sacrifice it this way. And and then um, if it's a thanksgiving offering, you're supposed to bring it this way. If it's a trespass off, and there's all these different types of offerings. But the one I really want to focus on is. The sin offering. And so they would come in and they would bring this sin offering and the priest would kill it. And hopefully God would accept it, but the priest had to do everything just like God told him to do. If the soul sinned, they had to bring something to die. The law, remember, is the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Something had to die. God instituted animal sacrifice back in Genesis chapter number three. Um, we saw it again in Genesis chapter four when God accepted the sacrifice of Abel. We have seen it over and over again so far in our in our Old Testament. And now here it is, God institutes animal sacrifice. Again, you can read all of these things. I encourage you to do that for your homework, to read Exodus, Leviticus, in particular Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's mentioned in all of these things, animal sacrifice. Okay, so that brazen altar was very Important. The brazen altar represented repentance. Okay, it represented repentance. Now, again, um, if they sinned, they had to bring a blood sacrifice before the Lord. So let's find out do we have to still bring a uh, blood sacrifice before the Lord? Well, let's see uh, what the New Testament says. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter number nine. Okay, let's um, go to the book of Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 12. By this point, if you've been going through the entire series, you ought to be very familiar with the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 12 says this, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more... Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now remember what I mentioned. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they should have been the ones to die. But the animal took their place. But it only pointed toward Calvary. And this animal sacrifice that took place upon that brazen altar only pointed toward Calvary. They would bring their sin offerings and they would bring them over and over and over and over and over over again. Uh, But because it could not completely atone for sin. But thank God that Jesus Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God. And uh, because of that, we can come boldly into the throne of grace. Let's go over to the book of Hebrews chapter number 4. The book of Hebrews chapter number 4. And we'll begin reading at verse number uh, 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that brazen altar, uh, pointed toward Calvary, pointed to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. So now I've already mentioned the fact that the outside of that tabernacle was not pretty to look at. And so people would not be attracted by the outside. Okay. And Jesus Christ was not attractive to look at. Says there's no beauty that we should desire him. And so the next thing is when they'd come past those gates with thanksgiving and enter the courts with praise, the very first thing they would see was the brazen altar, their necess- uh, the necessity for them to repent by bringing a blood sacrifice. Jesus is our blood sacrifice. So already we see these two things point toward Jesus. Okay, now um, another thing that points toward Jesus is when there is something called the brazen laver. Now the Bible talks about the fact that the priest, before he could enter in to the tabernacle, he had to wash, and it was so important that God told him, you better wash uh, that you die not. And so if he did not wash, he would die. One man pointed it out this way. He said when they would offer that sacrifice, uh, they would be soaked in blood. And so when they would go and wash, you better believe that that blood was mixed in with that water. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful type of water baptism in Jesus' name. I've already mentioned many times that when you're baptized in Jesus' name, you're, you're cleansed from your sin. And the blood of Jesus is what does the cleansing. And so when the priest washed, he had to wash before he could go into the presence of the Lord. And he would wash and um, and, and he would be clean, but the blood would mix in with that water. And so it's a beautiful type of water baptism in Jesus' name where the blood is applied to your life. Okay, and so we already see repentance. We see uh, 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 the dying of an animal being shed. We see the death of Jesus Christ, but also uh, we see a type of repentance at that brazen altar. Because if you're going to come into God's presence, you're going to have to first repent of your sin. Remember how I mentioned, wherefore come out from among them, Second Corinthians chapter 6 uh, and verse number 17, I believe it is. Uh, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, he said, uh, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. So we've got to first come out from the world, we've got to repent. That's what come out means. That's what repentance means. It means to turn around, to head the opposite direction from the way you've been walking. It literally means an about face. You ever see in the military, about face. And they turn the other direction and they start walking in a different direction. Um, That's what repentance is. It's for you to die out to the ways of sin, to change your lifestyle and to start walking toward the Lord. Okay, so at the brazen altar, we see the death of Jesus Christ, but we also see our necessity of repentance. Okay, Um, and remember that brazen altar represented the death of Jesus, but if I could put it this way, this is how you apply his sacrifice to your life. He did die for all. The Bible says he gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, but... Um, Just because he died, the world is not saved. you still got to apply his blood to your life. Okay? This is how you apply it. That brazen altar, he died for your sins. You don't have to bring a blood offering, a blood sacrifice. But here's what you do. You die at the altar by repenting of your sins. Repentance is saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I don't ever want to return. God, with your grace and your help, I'm never going to go back and do those things again. And if you foul up, you gotta you got to go back and repent again. But here's the thing. If you want to apply that blood to your life, <coughs> excuse me, if you want to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to your life, what you do is you first come to that brazen altar and you repent. Secondly, you go to that brazen laver and you're baptized. Now some people get the Holy Ghost before they get baptized, but uh, I'm not going to get into all the specifics of that. However, you can come to that that brazen laver and you can wash and you can be cleansed. Now some people might try to argue this point and they say, yes, but when Solomon built his temple, there was more than just uh, one laver, and that is true. However, there was only one where the priest would wash, and the rest was for the washing of different things. And so this brazen laver, laver, excuse me, um, is also a type of burial. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, chapter two and verse number ten, I believe it is, we're buried with him. Uh, excuse me, Romans chapter six, and verse number four, we are buried with him by baptism into death. <clears throat> and also, uh, it says in the. Let's read this. As a matter of fact, let's go to the book of Colossians, chapter number two, and verse number ten. Colossians 2 and verse number 10. Actually, it's 12. That's what I was looking for. Colossians 2 and 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Buried with him in baptism in the waters of of baptism, That brazen laver is a type of his burial. It points toward his burial. We're buried with him in baptism. That's how you apply uh, his blood. You repent. You're baptized. And then when they would go into the tabernacle, there's several things I could point at here. Uh, one of those things was the table of showbread. Jesus said in the New Testament, he said, I am the bread come down from heaven and I could talk about the table of showbread there's so many beautiful things I could mention about that I could talk about it's also a type of the Word of God Uh, but Jesus said I am the bread and I'm trying to show you the typology of of everything in this tabernacle pointed toward Jesus he's the bread and can I tell you that bread was meant to be freshened up uh, on a regular basis and Jesus keeps things fresh Uh, when you go to him the Bible says his mercies are new every morning He's fresh. He never runs out of love. He never runs out of mercy. He's fresh. Thank God for that. And then there was uh, the the golden lamp stand. And I could talk about the fact everything being golden. Uh, gold was a type of, uh, obviously, uh, prosperity, also a type of purity. <coughs> Excuse me. I've had a little bit of a uh, voice problem, so I apologize for that. But uh, gold is a type of purity as well. And it's a golden lampstand. What did? How does this point toward Jesus? Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Okay, uh, let's read that. Let's go to the book of John. Let's go to the book of John. And uh, chapter 1. And let's go to verse number 4. Actually, it's back at verse number one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if you read on, you'll find out the Word is Jesus Christ. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, uh, and the darkness comprehended it not. Okay? So Jesus is light. Alright, and there's several other verses that I could point to as well uh, in the New Testament. Uh, I'm trying to find, there's a specific verse here I'm trying to find while I'm thinking about it, Uh, but the Bible says, okay, here we go, this is John chapter 8 and verse number 12 john chapter 8 verse number 12 then spake jesus again unto them saying i am the light of the world he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life now uh there's several things i could bring out about this uh, as well but i just really want to focus on kind of the main highlights this i'm telling you the tabernacle plan is an inexhaustible subject kind of like the law you can't touch all of it. And I'm doing my best to cover this in about 25 minutes. So it's very difficult for me to fit everything in here. And so uh, then another thing I want to uh, point out is, so you have, the, uh, you have the brazen altar, and then when you go in, you got, of course, right before you go in, you got the brazen labor, and then when you go in, you've got the golden lampstand, you've got the table of showbread. Also, you have the altar of incense, the altar of incense. Now this is very beautiful because the altar of incense is actually a type of prayer, and the priest would come in and he would have to uh, he would have to uh, burn incense on there on a regular basis. And uh, what does this represent? Well, this also represents the prayers of the saints. Let's go to the book of Revelation. <coughs> Please excuse me. The book of Revelation. And I want to, uh, let me look this up real quick. The book of Revelation, chapter number uh, 8. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter number 8, and verse number 1. And I'm going to read this quickly. Uh, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints uh, upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So notice that the incense was offered with the prayers of the saints. That tells us incense is a type of prayer. Okay, And so that that priest was in charge of making sure that he offered incense before the Lord uh, upon that altar of incense. And then uh, after that, they would go into what's called the Holy of Holies. And the Bible tells us only the high priest could go in, and only one time a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And there's so many beautiful things to be talked about here. And again, this is an inexhaustible subject. So please forgive me for just briefly touching the surface of these issues. But when he goes in, in this uh, Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. This represented the presence of God. Okay? And um, the Ark of the Covenant inside of it was basically the law was put in there. Um, And also there was the golden pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded. And there's a lot to be said about these three things. But one of the things put in there was the law of God, the law of God. And on top of this, this ark was the mercy seat. And when the high priest would come in, he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice upon the mercy seat on the day of atonement. And, uh, everybody else would wait outside, hoping that that sacrifice would be accepted. So many beautiful things to talk about there. And that Jesus went in. And, uh, the Bible tells us that the veil was rent in twain from top to the bottom. What separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the, uh, the tabernacle was a veil. A veil. Okay? And what is this veil a type of? This also points to Jesus. Uh, Let me prove this point. Let's go to the book of Hebrews again. Uh, The book of Hebrews. Okay. And I apologize here. Let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter number 9, I believe it is. Now, I'm I'm having to to kind of roll with the punches on this one because I'm not 100% sure this is the right chapter. And it says uh, Hebrews chapter 9. And you'll see so many beautiful things in here. Uh, because it talks about all of the typology in the tabernacle plan. And there's so much typology in the tabernacle plan. It is absolutely incredible. But Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 20 says this. uh, By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Whose flesh? He's talking about Jesus in context. And so, again, that is the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10, and verse number 20. The veil represented the flesh of Jesus Christ. When Jesus' flesh was torn, that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And what that meant is, no longer would it just be the high priest going in once a year, but now everybody has access into the Holy of Holies. And another beautiful thing is inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Can I just tell you this is a type of the Holy Ghost because it represents the presence of God. What is the Holy Ghost? It's the presence of God coming within you. And remember how I talked in the last lesson (coughs) about the fact that um, when they received the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, it was the new law being put within their heart. Okay, and so the, the law was put inside the Ark of the Covenant. Well, now, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive the presence of God inside of you. And that law is put and written on your heart. We read it last week in the book of, uh, I'm sorry, last lesson in the book of Jeremiah. So there's so much beautiful typology in the tabernacle plan. It's an inexhaustible subject. But this is how they were to come before God and worship him so again just for review the very first thing they would see when they would come in is that uh, that brazen altar which was big enough to fit the rest of the the uh, tabernacle furnishings inside of it and so that was the place where death had to take place Jesus died for our sin we don't have to bring the blood of bulls and goats anymore Uh, but Jesus was that perfect lamb he was spotless he took our place because it should have been humanity to die for their own sin But Jesus died for our sin. He took our blood upon him. He shed his blood for us. Uh, 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 I'm sorry. He took our sin upon him and he shed his blood for us. And then... Uh, after that there was the brazen labor. This is a beautiful type of his burial and we're buried with him in baptism in the waters of baptism And then when you go into the tabernacle, you see the table of showbread. He said, I'm the bread of heaven uh, He's fresh every morning. His mercies are new every morning. And then you see that uh, That uh, golden lampstand. He said, I'm the light of the world And you see that altar of incense and that represents the prayers of the saints And then uh, when you and, and also you can look at the high priestly prayer in the book of John how that he prayed for his disciples but also he prayed not just for them but whoever would hear the word through them and so it's also a beautiful type of the prayers of Jesus and then the veil represents his flesh then the ark of the covenant represents the presence of God and through the, the, the tearing of the veil or the tearing of Jesus' flesh, we now have access into the presence of God and His law. Like the law was put inside the Ark of the Covenant, His law is put within our hearts. So much beautiful typology in the tabernacle plan. And like I said, it's an inexhaustible subject. So this closes out our discussion of the law of Moses. There's a lot more things we could get into and talk about. Um, there's beautiful, beautiful typology all throughout the law, but we're not going to discuss that too much in depth because we never leave the subject. Um, but what we're going to talk about in the next lesson is the uh, the dying out of, of the generation of Moses and and uh, Joshua leading the children of Israel into the promised land. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity we've had to study the word of God. God, I'm asking that you would continue to speak to hearts and souls and lives. God, move in a powerful way in people's hearts. Lord, I pray that help us to understand that everything in the law pointed toward you. The Bible is all about you. The Old Testament's all about you. That's why we must read it. We must study it so we can learn more about you. We love you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening.